Welcome back to Real Phonies, where we take a love for movies and television and combine it with very little knowledge about movies and television. I'm your host, Christian. Join me, as always, are my co-hosts, Joseph. Yellow. Ian. What up? And Jehu. Christian, uh, I, feel, I feel like you stumbled a little bit at the beginning, but you decided to come back stronger than ever. Uh, yeah, I tried to do it all in one breath and it just wasn't going to happen. And I started stumbling. So you swerve into the skid, you know, for sure. Absolutely. Well, today we're talking as much to, you know, our listeners surprise. You would have thought we talked about Dune enough last week. But in fact, we're going to talk about Dune even more this week because we're discussing Denny Villeneuve's extremely faithful adaptation of Frank Herbert's classic, or at least the first half of it. The story of Paul Atreides, uh, whose family is called from their home on the planet Caladan to the strange world of Arrakis and all the power and mystery it holds with the spice melange. The desert Uh, power. Yeah, desert power. Um, I want to talk more about that phrase specifically when we get into spoilers. Sure. This movie has everybody in it. Uh, Timothy Chalamet, Oscar Isaacs, Rebecca Ferguson, Stellan Skarsgård, Dave Bautista. Literally, just just throw a dart on the wall and there's a chance that person's in this movie. Josh Brolin. Javier Bardem. Jason Momoa. Javier Bardem. Zendaya. I was about to say you skipped Ian's favorite person. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Before we ahead, before just, we get deeper, I, I do want to add like just f- for both us and for the listening audience because I think it's going to affect our general opinions. I kind of want to one by one like how much Dune do we know about? The only Dune that I know about is rumblings on Twitter, and I I just last week watched the uh, what is it, the '80s um, David Lynch version, and that's all of my exposure. I I did some background reading in anticipation of the movie after our podcast last week where joseph seemed to not know anything about the 1984 dune or whatever the original so i did some background reading about the story and like you know the cliff notes basically so i had read the cliff notes version of the story before i saw the movie i have read the book the first book i have seen the lynch film for the first time last week and i know generally the plot of at least the next two books. Mm. I, I'm pretty much in the uh, in the same boat as Christian. I, I would add that I also owned a Dune coloring book at one point. <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine uh, there are a lot of colors that are used. It wasn't. <laughs> I I, I've, I mentioned this before on the podcast, but yeah, I found it at Toys R Us at least. 10 years after there was any explanation for it to be at Toys R Us. So I was like, I just have to fucking have this, but I can't find it now. I was trying to find it for, uh, you know, this holiday, this event, but I couldn't find it. Uh, You know, I know that there are six books, I think, written by Frank Herbert in this universe. And then, you know, like Tolkien's kids, just his, his offspring keep churning them out. But, uh, I'm intrigued by this world, but I'm not intrigued enough to keep reading as of yet, <laughs> but probably more so now after this film. Yeah, I, I, I think I'm, I might try to read at least the next two. Yeah, those are the only two. If I do do it, those would be the only, Dune do it. Those would be the only <laughs> two I do. So, so uh, kind of on the note of continuity here. Uh, comparing it to the the David Lynch one, as as far as I can tell, the the David Lynch one pops through maybe like three books in in one go, 
Whereas this one, it seems to stop at about like the halfway point of the David Lynch film. I mean, Hurt could probably describe this better than I can. Uh, the the that Lynch one is is Dune, but it is Dune itself is kind of broken into three. I don't want to say individual stories, but like three distinct sections of Paul's life. And um, that one is only like really the first and the last. Right. Yeah. They 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 skip over the middle one pretty hard. This one does. a. I mean, there's still a lot in that middle that we'll get in in part two. But I think you you start. It goes deeper, I think, into it. It's not just the plane crashes and they find Fremen and they're widely accepted. Right. Yeah. I, you know, this one does vary some. And I feel like the uh, the places it varies are actually usually pretty good, except for one thing I will talk about in spoilers. And there's some spots I wish it would have actually. I felt like it was going to vary more and I wish they would have leaned harder on that. And also we will talk more about that in spoilers. Yeah, so I, I think that's probably a good po- transition. How do we feel about this film just in general? I can say I, I watched it, uh, you know, in IMAX with, with a couple of you guys, and uh, I, I feel like it fits that scale of, uh, of movie watching experience well. But I feel like the longer I've gotten away from it, the less I've been like amazed by it. I think it's a good movie. I think it's better than Transformers, but... I'm I'm also kind of not entirely sure what all the fuss is about. I I kind of agree with Joseph. I really really liked it watching it. I think I was taken with the spectacle of it. It looks really really good on in IMAX. It's definitely a movie. I think the bigger the screen, the better. It looks real expensive. I think the performances are good, but I think the further I got away from it, when I walked out, you know, I, of course I like things a lot, at, you know, that are new. But I think I was taken with just like how cool it was to see this thing on screen that felt like an event film. I think I was craving an event film. We haven't had one of those in a while. I, I think it's definitely better than Transformers, but I would say as I sat with a little bit, it's like a really good sci-fi movie. Does it blow, you know, is it like a trendsetter, like, you know, one of those 1% movies? I wouldn't say that, but I did really enjoy it. You know, uh, it definitely is like a movie. It needs to be seen in a movie theater. <laughs> Anyone I've heard about talking about they thought it was kind of boring is usually someone who watched it in uh, uh, on HBO Max at home. I, you know, man, I, I really like this a lot. I, I thought it was uh, super well done, definitely visually incredible. If I have one complaint, this was my first time ever sitting in the IMAX in Bayou 15 as a customer. And man, they need to upgrade those fucking seats. <laughs> you know, $15 a pop, my ass shouldn't start hurting at the two hour mark. So <laughs> the, the literal point looking back on it, I started to become critical of this movie was around the same time my ass started hurting. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I like this movie a whole lot. I, I, I think it's I said this to the guys walking out like there are some parts that are just extremely faithful and it, I think it changed my perception a bit. I think this movie is closer to a visual audio book than it is a good movie experience, which is like Lord of the Rings cuts out, I don't know, 35% of the novels to make a cohesive film. There's not like long sections of, you know, there is bits of Treebeard talking about the forest, but that's not 30 pages long like it is in, in, in Two Towers. But I think 
Denny really relied on the exposition heavy nature of the first third of this book. I mean, I think when you read Dune, that's kind of why it's so hard and so dense to get through is it's, it just throws an entire new universe and a new set of rules and a new way to communicate and new phrases. If it throws it right at you and it gives you no explanation and you have to figure it out. And I think this movie kind of does that as well, but uh, in a more visual medium, and I'm not sure that makes for a great movie experience, but I think it's a really great, like singular film experience. I don't know if we've ever had anything quite like that. Like, I do feel like this is a, is a, a visual book, but I think the performances are great. I think the direction is great. I think it's better than transformers, but walking out of it, I probably would compare it more to like gravity than I would anything else because it's such a singular or to me, at least like really trying to dissect it and compare it to the novel was a very kind of singular experience. You know, I, I I mean, I can, I can kind of see where you're going there, but I mean, I, I think that you said that it's pretty exposition heavy. I feel like it kind of could have used more exposition. I mean, I know that the inner voice thing was real awkward in the Lynch version. We talked about that a lot last week, but I think you miss some of the details of the story in this without it. Yeah, no, I, I agree there. I think cutting that was not a necessarily great decision. And what I mean more so, and I, I didn't say this well, is I think it tries to do visual exposition right. and not audible. And I don't think it always lands. So example the bull um there's a presence of the bull in the beginning and you get a line from uh leto about his father being killed by a bull or whatever but there's a great con almost kind of confrontation between jessica and leto about the bullhead in the book right that offers more explanation why it's important what the metaphor is and the movie doesn't give it to you that way. It just keeps flashing it and showing it to you. Like, hey, this is important. You need to remember this. But it doesn't offer really why it's important. I okay, now I understand what you're saying. I totally agree. There are times in this movie where he really adheres to the filmmaking rule of show, don't tell. And he needed to fucking tell, too. <laughs> yeah. uh, specifically... The Mentats. He just kind of shows how the Mentat works and doesn't explain it. And I feel like if I didn't already know that, I would be like, what's with that dude's fucking eyes? Yes. I think you still have to know something about New Dune to really appreciate this movie. I definitely I saw it with like four people who had never read Dune before and they still had a lot of. Now, what was the he with the who and the what and the where after it was over? So, yeah, it, it doesn't necessarily explain everything. That that being said, I still love this movie. Yeah, I would say, like I said, if I hadn't read up on like some of the cliff notes because I'd never seen the original Dune movie and never read anything, like when they start talking about like the Bene, how do you say it, Jesserit or the, like yeah. the witch people and like the the humans that are like computers and like just like there's a lot of different concepts going at once, you know. Like I was asking Christian during the movie, like, are there two like is there two prophecies going on at once? Because there's the the witch prophecy and then the Freeman prophecy. And like, even I read on bunch, I probably spent like 15 minutes reading before we saw this movie. And I got, I would say like 80% of it, you know what I mean? But there was still stuff going on there that I think I probably didn't catch. Um, and then I read some more after the movie and it starts to make more sense. Um, but it, yeah, it, I think 
people who maybe go in there cold are going to miss some of what he's trying to do with what you guys say. I don't know if he explains everything like verbally, it's kind of just gives it to you. And you know, you got to digest it the best you can. Like he doesn't spoon feed it to you, I guess would be the way I would say it. I think, I think, uh, you know, I I don't know when we want to officially call it into spoilers that I'm not going to talk about anything particularly spoilery, but I just feel like we're going to forget. So (laughs) let's, let's just go ahead and call it. Uh, I feel like my problem might actually be more with the source material than the actual interpretation. And maybe maybe it's the interpretation failing to, to uh, you know, that's the thing. I don't know because I haven't read the book. But, you know, one of the things that I think has struck me the further we get away from it is how, like, it, it is this whole big universe and how small it makes this universe feel. We spend this whole time on this one planet and, and mostly focus on this war between these two families. Uh, which brings me to another thing that I was curious about as I was, like, thinking about the plot of this movie uh, I, I know this is like a, a seminal sci-fi work uh, and whatever, and I don't. I, there's a lot of context that I'm sure that I don't understand. But the plot of this movie, as far as I understand it, is there's two warring white superpowers fighting over a desert planet that isn't theirs for a valuable resource there uh, that is inhabited by natives who have suspiciously Arabic names, and I guess. I guess my question after watching this movie is, is this good sci-fi? I mean, I think it was probably well-meaning for its time. I just, uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, I, there, there was a lot of it that felt it, like, you know, and again, maybe that's just because it's the intro movie. Like, it, it, it felt more closed in than I think I would have liked this universe to feel with all of the, the new concepts we've been introduced to. It's all just very, I don't know, you know, it's mostly just this sand place and these two, two families and that's it. Right, right. Yeah, I, I mean, I get what you're saying there, and there is definitely, I mean, you know, if someone wants to knock this as a white savior story, they probably could knock it very easily as that. You know, uh, you know, it's just one of those things that, you know, I don't know if it does us any good judging that by today's standard, except we made this movie today, so maybe there is a reason to. Yeah, I mean, I, I would also add, I think, and, and Denny has said this, if he gets to make three, he would do you know, Messiah. And I think it's important to understand the point of Dune is not that Paul is a hero. He very much becomes a villain in this story. Like all people are corrupt and all people are bad. And and I'm not sure that's a good story to tell, but I, I also don't think at least the concept of Dune, I don't believe is necessarily a white savior story, but I think the way it may be presented in this film definitely gives that appearance that the I, I forgot to mention in my explanation of why this is bad sci-fi one side of the white superpowers names is vladimir and the other ones are like paul and jessica so <laughs> you know take that as you will <laughs> see i never mind that i never mind names that let me know which guys are the good guys <laughs> I, I i look forward to that actually that does kind of lead me to something that's super spoilery um uh, that is not in this movie, but I feel like we should have covered it at the point of where the film ends is that Jessica is a Harkonnen. Her dad is, is the Baron. Yeah. Uh, and um, especially if in the movie version, Hawat survives, I, I think you, the audience member are supposed to mistrust her uh, and they don't really give you all the information unless the movie's just going to tell it differently. I, I don't think you're supposed to have complete faith in Jessica. Uh, and 
the movie left out some pretty key details as to why. Is that yeah. a, is that a secret in the book, or is it like you know is that something that's uh, widely known by people in the book, or is it something that like comes out later? It's Paul- it's a secret to the people in the book, but not necessarily a secret to you. That's what yeah. I mean. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Um, Paul knows it, and she knows it. Right. But it's, so, uh, I say Hawat survive. Hawat thinks Jessica is the one that ca- is the inside man, and not because of that, but because you know that she's a Harkonnen, and like. There's just multiple things that go on to, to, to make cast doubt on everybody, even though you know who the real betrayer is. Yeah, I, I'm hoping that maybe in the next movie, there'll be some flashbacks to this time, because definitely that was one of the things I was talking about that, you know, what's, you know, role in the rest of the story is really based on the idea that he thinks that uh, Jessica is the traitor. And yes. how he moves. And it's from clues he has in this part of the story. So where we didn't see that, we're going to have to get to that somehow. I, You know, now that we're in spoilers, I, I should say one of the things I don't think this did well is um, the doctor. Oh, I can't even think of the doctor's name now. Huey. Huey. I really like both in the book and in this, the way they're laid out, you know, Leto is doomed. In this, I like that they made the choice to, it's going to be a surprise. But in the books, you know from the beginning, Leto is doomed, and you know that Yui is going to betray him. Mm. But in that, Yui becomes a character that's weirdly sympathetic, learning why he's going to betray him, learning how much misgivings and anguish he has about betraying him. And in this, Yui doesn't really get to become a character. And my favorite scene in the whole book is the tooth scene, is the when he gives... Uh, when you know, when he gives Leto the tooth, and that just didn't land as well mm. where you didn't know Yui as well in this. Yeah, they definitely spend no time in establishing who that guy is. And definitely in the first third of the Dune, he's one of the most interesting characters. Right. I suppose that one would have been tough to to do without the inner voice, huh? Totally. Like that's one of the things where the men's yeah. inner voice was definitely in this. So here's a got? question I have for everybody. So this was my first movie experience with him at all, but this podcast, particularly one fourth of him, has been not very pro Timothy Chalamet. Do we <laughs> like him now? I would say, I mean, he's he's a good actor, but he's so damn slender. That's all I kept saying. <laughs> and he has such gangly fingers. You know what I mean? Right. I don't know. I, I I would say yes. I'm a little higher on him. He's he's pretty good in that movie. Um, he's just when he kills that person at the end in, in the ritual duel, I don't know. He has this like this look he gives with his eyes and he just, I don't know. He knows how to emote with, without, you know, speaking so much. He, he definitely is very talented. I don't know if I necessarily like him, but I definitely think I respect him more after this. But the worst line in that whole fucking movie is when Jason Momoa is joking with him and walks up to him and says, man, you put on some muscle. No, bitch, you didn't. You are the slimmest man in the entire world. <laughs> and I couldn't take well, that. Well, hang on a second. Like, in the, what are in you the, talking about? In the movie, he fall, Paul falls up and says, really? And Jason Momoa says, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I don't know. It, it was fine. I, I think he's good at it. I, uh, you know, I still don't like his face or his just general <laughs> being. I think he's a good actor. He is a pretty hard sell as, like, you know, this warrior. <laughs> right. Uh, but, you know, uh, fucking, what's his name? Uh, Kyle McLaughlin. McLaughlin, yeah, yeah, yeah. Was also a tough sell, so, you know. Yeah, I think, I think Timothy is much better than Kyle in this role. 
personally. See, I, you, I don't know. I feel like with Kyle McLaughlin, you know, because Paul's supposed to be a child in the beginning of the story and a man at the end. And I never for a moment bought Kyle McLaughlin as a child. <laughs> but I don't know if like I'll, ever, I'll ever accept him. The Chalamet is a man, you know? Yeah. Maybe we should just sub that. in Kyle McLaughlin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just, yeah. I, I, I tell you this, I, um, you know, going back to, you know, where they don't let you know in the beginning that, uh, that Leto is doomed. I kind of thought that meant that they were going to spread out Leto's involvement a little more and maybe he'd make it all the way to the end of this story. Uh, and, uh, when he didn't, that was kind of a bummer, but I bring that up with, in regards to Timothy Chalamet, because I really feel instead of doing all the fucking flash forwards we saw of Zendaya, we could have done a little more of the characters in the first half. And mm. the, as, as for those, as for those fucking flash forwards, they were mostly just those two making kissy faces at each other. And I honestly don't know which one of them I, is more kissable. They're both very kissable. <laughs> I agree with you. Timothy Chalamet is always going to look 17. That guy could be 45 and he'll just look 17 about to be 18 to me. Right. There's just something about his look. So I, I agree with you. I don't buy that he transitioned from like a, a boy to a man in this movie, but he's pretty good at the boy part. You know, he, he just, it's going to be a tough sell to like make him the aged up hero. If that's where it's going in the second one to like be the leader, to lead the Freeman against the Harkonnens. You know, I just, I don't know if I'm going to buy that as much. I think he was good at this part of the role though, but, but yeah, I don't know if he can make that transition in my mind. I don't think if you do three, or if you do book two and do three, I don't think you can cast Timothy Chalamet to be Paul in that personally. Is there a, is there a time jump in the book? Like, uh, yeah, I mean, he has like children and stuff. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it'll be hard to do the ending of Dune, I think, with him. But you already showed us clips of the final battle or at least him beating the Harkonnens. I mean, like I that a fight. Yeah with him in that role. So I feel like you have to stick with him through that, but he's supposed to be married with kids. I, I feel yeah, like he becomes, he becomes emperor eventually. Yeah, right. That, that's I will, up, that's up. I will say, you know, spice elongates your life and all that stuff. So theoretically time jump doesn't make a difference. So why can't he look the same? But I don't know if I would... buy, he's going to be able to ride a sandworm. I don't know. Like, I just don't know if I buy, he'll be able to do that, but, you know, <laughs> we'll see. Jason Momoa, sure, but Timothy Chalamet, I, I don't know. 100%. <laughs> def definitely, definitely, though, riding the sandworm will look better than it did in the Lynch version. <laughs> uh, uh, th this, th this question is, is for Christian, and it's, uh, it's kind of dorky. Do you think they even do Fayette Ralpha, or they just make Dave Batista basically both characters? So I wondered this as well. I... I, Ian and I walked out of it and I was like, man, there's a Harkening character that they're missing. And I just could not place it. And then like, I don't know, the next day I text, I was like, it's friggin' fade. Like, why is that guy not in here? Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I don't feel like, I feel like for ease, you make it the Dave Batista character, but I would not like that if that's the way. Cause I did not like Dave Batista in this movie. <laughs> and I don't think he can pull off what fade's supposed to be. Right. Right. Yeah, is it? Isn't he supposed to have the voice? He's kind of supposed to be like a mirror. Like what I read is he's like a mirror image of kind of Paul Atreides, but for House Harkonnen, he's kind of similar and he's been trained in like the Bene Gesserit ways. And 
I didn't get that from Dave Batista. Is that not how it's supposed to be? Like he didn't seem like that part to me. Fade is supposed to be the the father of the Kwisatz Haderach. He's the chosen one to bring about, you know, the Messiah, essentially. Like Jessica and Leto were supposed to have a daughter, and that daughter was either supposed to marry Fade or their kids were supposed to meet. I can't I might be misplacing that. I think so like yeah, to, to unite everything. Yes. And then their child was supposed to be the Kwisatz Haderach. And then she messed it all up. So he definitely was like, you know, they talk about how the Bene Gesserit have caused, you know, the mixing of lines to make perfect brains. Now his like he's he's like the the peak Harkonnen oh. before his child is supposed to be the the Kwisatz Haderach. Y'all, I've been sitting here this whole time thinking about who would be the dark mirror to Timothy Chalamet that Eddie would, that, that would fill out the space <laughs> of of uh, of Sting in the Lynch version, and a hundred percent it's Jared Leto. Oh, oh God, yeah! God damn you for oh, saying that before I did. That That's was my exactly fucking closer, Joseph. I'm, I'm so sorry. God damn God. you! I won't yeah, watch that is that correct. Movie. It's Jared Leto. Jared Leto is the correct fan, Ralph. Was that is that wrong, Hurt? Would I say any of that incorrectly? I, I no, no. I think you said it absolutely correctly. Okay. Yeah, I was surprised he was not in it. And if they make Dave Batista it, I will be very pissed off. Yeah, I, I, I don't feel like it's a corner they cut, but it seems like something they would because Dave Batista didn't really have a big reason to be in this. But I mean, you know, that character doesn't do a lot, so it's weird that they even cast a star in it. You know. No, that that whole role exists to be humiliated, really. Right. Maybe Dave Batista just likes Dune. I think he just likes money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think he does, too. I think a lot of these guys might like money. W- one more thing. Uh, so I mentioned earlier that they didn't clarify who the uh, Mentats were. When Paul has the freak out in the tent, you know, about, you know, you've made me a freak, that's where he realizes he's both a Benny Jesser and a Mentat right yeah i think so yeah it's a bummer that they didn't include that like you know it didn't bum me out when they didn't include stuff like that in the lynch version because you know they just had to rush through it the best they can to fit it in one movie but where we're doing multiple movies i was annoyed when corners were cut i can see that i definitely feel like i feel like the end of this movie should have been the harkonnen attack like i don't feel like we should have got anything in the desert I, uh, I agree. I think the end, totally that should have been the end of the movie. Definitely. And you do it in three movies. Dragging on felt very like Return of the king Like we just <laughs> keep getting ending after ending after ending. Right. It was definitely that. I kept waiting for which one of these things is going to be the ending. Yeah. Yeah. I would have liked, I thought the natural point to cut this movie would have been Jared Leto blowing the tooth into the the Baron. You know, I thought that would have been a good cutoff point after <laughs> <laughs> oh jared leto <laughs> oh oscar so yeah oscar isaac yeah blow oh. the tooth but his that. name is leto like yeah. that's <laughs> great that is funny because i didn't even think of that aspect but jared leto kind of has a fucking dune name <laughs> and that's hilarious <laughs> i don't have much else on this other than i really liked it it sounds like i don't but I think the hardest part for me, and I said this at the beginning, I said it when I saw it and I say it now, like some parts are really, really faithful and some parts aren't. And it's, it's, I don't know that I have struggled as much to separate a movie from a book as I did this. And I'm not even like a super fan of the book. It's just that it seems like Denny Villeneuve is because he went to such links at some parts 
and then other parts he didn't and I don't know it's just weird it's a weird thing that exists now the only other thing I got is I think that's the most handsome Oscar Isaac's ever been I mean look he's a pretty handsome guy but for sure (laughs) I agree that beard and also is the pudgiest, It's the pudgiest Jason Momoa has ever been. I, I think he, he was like, they was like, do I need abs for this? And they were like, the power lifter bot. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's better than Transformers. Definitely. I had a good time with it. I also, I kept talking about how cool those fucking dragonfly ships were. Yeah. Man, those things look fucking expensive. I mean, it, you, you keep you keep saying it looks expensive. I had to remind myself during the trailer for this movie and during the actual movie several times this wasn't filmed on another planet. Like it's yeah. it looks amazing. Yeah. Uh and, and I will say like that's that's my closer if you listen to this and you I don't know why you would have made it this far if you haven't gone to see the movie, but if you're thinking about seeing it, don't watch it on HBO. Go see it in a movie theater. Go see it in IMAX. It's $15, but it's worth it. I hate yeah. to do this, guys, but I just thought of two things I have to ask Kurt about. Okay, go for it. Uh, how do we feel about Stilgar in this movie? Man, you know, I love that guy, but I kind of like Lynch's Stilgar better. I didn't feel like this was a very good version of Stilgar. Like, he's he's angrier than I read him to be. Yeah, no, totally. Yeah, he he seemed angrier. He seemed uh, He seemed less alien, you know? He just kind of seems like a dude who's pissed. Yeah, that first interaction, like the spitting, like who's in the room, that's one of those scenes that I'm talking about is extremely faithful. Right. But every line he says, even if it's a line from the book, I interpret it completely differently reading it than the way Harvey Airbardim acts it. Yeah, 100%. I totally agree. Um, I, I mean, don't worry, I liked him in this movie, yeah. but he didn't feel like what I thought that character was. Exactly. hundred percent. The other thing is uh, we didn't talk. Number one, they never say melange in this movie, which is a weird thing to leave out. You, you write this weird scene where you literally have uh, Baron Harkin and say Dune, like the <laughs> slang name for this planet. Right. But you'd never call spice by its real name. Uh, the other thing that was strange to me is, and look, this is this is totally exposition-y. The movie's already north of two and a half hours. You probably don't need to include it, but it's interesting to me is folding. We don't talk about folding space at all, and it's That's like true. a really cool way they move through through space and time. Like right. it's not you don't it's not intergalactic travel. It's like instantaneous travel, and. Uh, I don't know. I just feel like we could have done a better job of why people care about this shit. It doesn't just get you high. It is everything in this. Right. Universe. Right. Yeah. No, totally. They did not. We got that scene of, of a weird like space tube spewing out little things, but we didn't get any talk about. And again, I think they just could have cuss out of cut out a few, uh, you know, kissy face flash forwards and done that. Yeah. You know, told us how that worked. That's it. I'm done talking about Dune for now. Yeah, the last thing I'll say about it is uh, Denny Villeneuve, I mean, nobody on Earth has that sort of bleak side of 80s sci-fi down more than him. Uh, You know, Ridley Scott needs to never step to the plate again. This guy's got it. And also, to Joseph's point, if you, uh, you know, if you're thinking about watching this at home, this is a Hans Zimmer score. Why would you ever watch a Hans Zimmer score at home? I mean, look, you know, they, they, Hans, it's Hans Zimmer's been coasting for a while. I'm not going to give no, Hans Zimmer a lot of credit on this one. No, 
No, dude, I'm no, I, I was getting that. I don't think it was great. I'm just saying it just exists to test IMAX speakers. I mean, I mean that's probably <laughs> true. You know, I mean, like, no, if you put this this uh, score next to Interstellar, I'm positive I couldn't tell them apart. Yeah. But they are part of, at this point, they're part of the IMAX experience. You expect that noise when you go see fucking IMAX. You're not wrong. I will say, uh, we, Christian and Ian and I all went to see it on, on Thursday night when it came out, and one of our, our regular listeners, Rick, uh, also was in that theater, just by coincidence, uh, and he told me afterwards <laughs> that, uh, you know, we're, we're all in IMAX. We all paid $15 to be there, but the guy behind him, every single time that uh, Paul would show up on screen, the, the guy behind him would go, Moadib! <laughs> it's, it's funny now, but it would be really annoying to me if I paid $15 yeah. for my seat. Yeah. Dude, I, I feel for, for Rick because that is my fucking superpower. When I am in a movie with the public, my superpower is to sit right in front of that fucking guy. <laughs> All right, I think that's Dune. Is that Dune? It's Dune. All right, we got less Dune than a- enough. Dune, Dune enough. All right, go on Twitter if you want more Dune. <laughs> what have we been watching this past week, guys? Um, I didn't watch really anything, so I'm going to take this chance to talk about the one thing I did talk about, uh, which is the Atlanta Braves. <laughs> um, what, I have what an watched, exciting time to be alive, isn't it, Christian? The, I know, man. I have watched so much baseball in the last two weeks. An unbelievable amount. Uh, however, you know, being an Atlanta sports fan, it's hard, guys. It's real hard. I love my hometown. I love that city. And I think more than anything, it deserves something to be excited <laughs> about. Um and listen, it, it really doesn't even matter if they win the World Series, though I want them to because I hate the freaking Astros so much. Uh, but the fact that they made it, that they won, it, the Atlanta Braves have not won a World Series game. One, they haven't been since 1999. That was 22 years ago. And when they went, they got swept by the New York Yankees. They have not won a World Series game since 1996. That was 25 years ago. I was seven years old the last time I watched my hometown baseball team win a World Series game on national television. I was thankful I got to do that the other night. But yeah, I just, it's a rig exciting time. You know, I get that we don't talk about professional sports a ton on this podcast, but it means a whole lot to me and uh, I'm going to enjoy it while it lasts. The Astros are a good team, so it might not last much longer, but uh, for the next at least three games at the very least, I think more, but I'll take three more. I will. Uh, gladly watch my Braves play and just fully expect next week. I probably won't have watched anything else because this will be of what I consider. <laughs> oh man. Well, you know, enjoying it while you last leads very well into me. Uh, I am going to be talking this week about something I didn't watch. Dark times to sit in for poor old Jehu. YouTube has swept in and <laughs> gutted Santa Barbara. Oh no. Oh, no, they're like all fucking gone, man. It's destroyed me. You know, I I mean, you know, I spent three fucking weeks talking about Santa Barbara, so I won't go on too long about this. The only thing I'll say is I spent a long time trying to dog on that show, making fun of it just because I thought that would be funny. And I really shouldn't have because honest to God, I unabashedly loved it. And, you know, this last couple of years has been shitty for everyone. Uh, but it has been, uh, you know, 
shittier for me, I feel like. I'm sure there's lots of people who think that, but I've had some health concerns. I've had some mental health concerns. And for whatever reason, this stupid fucking show has really got me through it. Uh, so I am so fucking bummed about this. And it's just one of those things that, you know, well, you know, I talked about this once before on the show that I don't understand who's policing this and making this go away. Like the, the ABC soaps are owned by Disney probably. So I can see who's policing those, but a lot of these, I just don't know who it is. So, you know, like most of the soap operas that are out there were owned by Procter and Gamble and they don't even have an entertainment division anymore. So I don't know why they would be pulling this shit. Uh, so I had built it up in my head that it's like, well, it must be the pop music because YouTube has an algorithm that searches videos for pop music and if it violates the copyright, it'll pull it down. You know, and the Procter and Gamble soaps, definitely, they were like music videos. They just had pop music in them all the time. Santa Barbara wasn't like that. And that was part of the reason why I thought there was 2,000 episodes on, on here that nobody was pulling off. But now, like, most of it's gone. And it would be like, you know, I know this is just a, you know, seems like such a stupid thing to be bummed about, but it would be like if your favorite show was Mad Men and you would watch the first two seasons of Mad Men and then it just disappeared forever and all the DVDs on Earth spontaneously combusted and you are never going to see the rest of Mad Men. Uh, you know, it, it's a bummer. I'm happy I had my time with Santa Barbara. I'm bummed I may not get to see any more. There is... There is a little light at the end of the tunnel that Pluto just uh, launched a soap opera channel and it was almost at the exact time this happened. So I'm hoping that's a correlation, but right now they're only showing current episodes of The Young and the Restless and The Bold and Beautiful, which is fucking lame. So, and also one thing, I'm, the thing I'm worried most from this. So the last time I talked about this specific issue, you know, I've been talking a lot about The Guiding Light and As the World Turns and the YouTube channel that had the most of that disappeared. Two weeks after I talked about Santa Barbara, now Santa Barbara's gone. I'm worried we might have influence. Oh, no. I can <laughs> tell like, you by our downloads, that is not true. Well, that's good because we can't handle that responsibility. I, I will say, you know, I my heart breaks for you, Hurt. I immediately pulled out my phone to see if I can find it where I could even like buy a DVD box set for you. And right. it's not available to rent or purchase or stream anywhere. That's the weirdest thing about soaps, man. In this day and age where large clumps of, you know, just content are valuable to somebody, maybe not to Netflix or Hulu, but you're telling me that. You know, Tubi doesn't want to soap. Fucking Crackle doesn't want to soap. You know what I'm saying? Like, somebody oh, should God. want this. So there's some reason it's not out there. But also the internet will not provide me the reasons for why that is. Yeah, that is strange. Like, as a person who's into anime, I can confirm new people discover One Piece every day. And they do it. You know, they, they do all 1,000 episodes. Right. So for sure, someone would do it for a soap opera. So anyways, that's all I got this week. Uh, you know, if anybody uh, has any thoughts and prayers for old Jehu, most of the things people use their thoughts and prayers on, it doesn't always seem to work, but maybe it'll work for Jehu. This is small stakes. Just one <laughs> guy getting to watch some soap. Um, Attainable goals. <laughs> I didn't watch much. I, I've been working a lot, but I was able to get a PlayStation 5 last Ooh. week, right. which, was, which was super cool. So my I, I see you on there playing Guardians. 
Yeah, so my next couple weeks are going to be, what have I been playing? So um, I got the new Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy, and I was able to tap in last night. I, today I was off, so I played all day today. I'm like probably 30%, about a third of the way through, and it's really good. Um, this is from the same studio that made Marvel's Avengers, which is just a horrible game. So I had really low expectations, but it's it's really fucking fun. It picks up like you're about a year into being like the Guardians of the Galaxy you control Peter Quill. I think some, the story's great. It leans more into the comics. Um, like so far, I've already ran into like Richard Ryder, Nova. I've ran into like this super cool character, Lady Hellbender, who like collects monsters in the MCU and like runs this like habitat for them. I think the like the story's really good. The graphics are awesome. Like um, there's certain stages where you're flying the Milano through like all these crazy, you know, I don't want to spoil it, like different atmospheres and like crazy things in space and you control star lord in the combat and you have like the special abilities of these other you know the other four guardians which it, it's really it's really cool a lot cooler than i thought it would be and also with the puzzles like you know you have rocket who can hack certain stuff and Groot can like make roots to make bridges and drax can like move stuff around so they all have their own thing to make certain puzzles fun um i'm excited to see where it goes i haven't had a game in a while where like I don't want to put it down. So it's actually pretty fun. Um, yeah, the graphics are cool. Like the PlayStation 5, I think the coolest thing I've noticed is like there's no more loading. So like if you die or, you know, you're going to the next stage, it's like, like fucking instant, which is cool for me because I suck at video games and I die a lot. So it's a lot <laughs> less sitting at a loading screen waiting. It's just instantly right back into it. So, um, yeah, the dialogue is the other cool thing is like you have a lot of like quips between, you know, your teammates and like it gives you a lot of dialogue options and like what you pick affects the story. Like, I think it's a good game I would play through again because like certain like there's one of the stages you have to pick to sell either rocket or Groot to this lady hellbender who wants a monster. And I think depending on who you pick, it completely changes how you do that next stage. So I think it, it makes you kind of care about the, you know, the story and, and what you're doing and the music like they've licensed so many 80s songs it's crazy i can't believe how much they must have spent to get all these songs or 80s music's just cheap but um i but don't yeah. think it's cheap yeah <laughs> like they have like a crazy amount of songs like that like yeah it, it seems like guardians of the galaxy 3 like they've already licensed all the music for it so yeah so i think so far better than transformers and uh i think after i finish this i got miles morales spider-man i'm gonna tap into so that's probably what i'm gonna be doing on my free time but that's it this is not fully related to what you're talking about, but you just reminded me of it. Uh, uh, talking about being bad at video games, one of the advantages of, you know, kind of kind of cutting my teeth in the pre-online gaming days, or at least the pri online gaming heydays, is that you don't really have to be good. You just have to be better than your friends, yeah. <laughs> or at least better than some of your friends, uh, and yeah. you feel like a big man. Uh, yep. but you know, nowadays when you're playing against the world, you realize, oh no, I'm just, I'm really, really, really bad. Yep. I, I think we all need smaller sample sizes is what I'm saying. <laughs> you felt like the big fish in a small pond and Correct. now you are just a little fucking fish and the 11 year olds are talking shit to you. hundred percent, hundred percent. I don't have too much. I, uh, the wife and I finished Ted Lasso this week. We'll, we'll save it though. We'll wait till uh, Ian will get to it eventually. I'm sure. Yeah, but, you know, obviously it's better than Transformers. If you haven't watched it, watch it. Though I do need to remember. Actually, maybe I'll watch Mythic Quest before I cancel my Apple Plus subscription. How many, yeah. seasons, how many seasons are there? 
It's two. Mm, we'll see. It's quick watch too. All right. And then the only other thing is I also finished uh, something I talked about earlier on the podcast, uh, which is uh, Only Murders in the Building, the uh, Hulu show with uh, Steve Martin, Martin Short, and Selena Gomez. Uh, it's good. You know, it's both kind of a satirical, or not a satirical, that's too strong of a word. It's poking fun at true crime murder podcasts, uh, and it's kind of about solving murder, but it's also kind of just about, like, making friends. Uh, <laughs> It, re- it really though, uh, but no. you know, in you know, the end, totally. No, I agree. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, in the end, it actually turns out to be a pretty good murder mystery. They do a really good job. You know who's really good in this? I mean, again, I, I mentioned the fact that you know this has really warmed me to uh, Martin Short, but Nathan Lane is really good in this. Nathan Lane is like, I, I don't know if this is like, seems like backhanded, but he's he's like intimidating in this. Yes, like I know. When you when you have to buy that he's a danger at one point, he you buy it. You do, I know. And I, you know, again, maybe it is backhanded, but I've just never seen him do that before, and it was uh, I, I, I totally bought it. Uh, anyway, yeah, I've, go I've got two episodes left, but I also love this show. You you will enjoy the ending, I think. Cool. Uh, so yeah, if, if you haven't watched that, honestly, it, it it's not quite Ted Lasso energy, but it's a similar vein. It's still pretty like positive. We're all just sad, lonely people. Let's all be nice, nicer to each other. I totally would be gushing about this show uh, more if it wasn't for Ted Lasso. It's Ted Lasso's fault. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, but yeah, that's it. Uh, I, do we have something for next week? I can't remember. Mm. Sounds like we haven't done what if. I don't all know. Right, so next week is going to be what if. Yeah. <laughs> Finally. I'm sorry. And I know you've, <laughs> you've been waiting. For I this mean, one. yeah. At this point, it's so old. I'm like, whatever, forget what. <laughs> when Ian was talking about the the uh, Guardians video game, I almost talked about the only part of what if I really want to talk about. So I'm glad I did. All right. <laughs> so next week, Marvel's what if, unless something else comes up, who knows? <laughs> but probably. So thanks everybody for listening. Uh, please rate, subscribe, tell your friends about the podcast. If you want to get in touch with us and tell us how you feel about Dune, honestly, I feel like if you're going to tell us what you feel about Dune, you have to give context about how much you knew about Dune before you watched the movie. I feel like that should be a requirement. Right. Uh, you can reach us at realphonies at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, realphonies on Instagram at real underscore phonies. Thanks, Zach Evans for our and Brian Velasquez for our theme. We'll see you guys later. Later.